Frazier scrambles He's left, winds up, Brayman. He's got time at the 10 to the 5. Yes. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Root and Why Show. I am Josh Y, and uh, this is a one of our uh, draft podcasts that we do in the lead up to the NFL draft. And later on in this episode, uh, Woot and I sat down and uh, had a chat with Matthew Harmon. Uh, the creator of Reception Perception, and to talk all things about this uh, wide receiver draft class, one that he calls a deep draft class, and and we we get into uh, a few of the big names and a few of the uh, the later round names to uh, to watch out for, and that you know, really charted well. So please uh, uh, hang around and listen to that. But while uh, you know, while you, you know, we can't give you the great stuff straight away, you got to wait a little bit. So what we're going to do in the first twenty minutes of this podcast. Is talk some NFL news, talk some uh, talk some Tony Romo, and I thought who better to have on the show to talk Tony Romo with you than uh, my buddy RJ Ochoa from the Ocho Live, the number one rating Dallas Cowboys Facebook Live uh, video in in the world. Welcome. <laughs> that is uh, quite a uh, quite a glowing introduction, and well, it's uh, factually you know, correct, sir. Well, I I think so, and um, <laughs> you know. That's that's what I you know that's what I want on my tombstone really, and you're in charge. You're in charge of my tombstone. Mark. Wow, it's a, it feels like a huge responsibility and one that's probably inappropriate given my location. But I'll I'll take it on board. Uh, <laughs> how are you coping? Uh, you know, speaking of you know tombstones and and deaths, Aaron Rodgers and Olivia Munn, the relationship is dead. They've reportedly broken up. How how are you feeling about this? The NFL's power couple gone. Well. Um, you know, I've always thought that Aaron Rodgers has idolized Tony Romo. You know, they both have Wisconsin ties, both quarterbacks. And just like Tony Romo, Aaron Rodgers wanted to date a celebrity. And now following in his footsteps, uh, having a, uh, a widespread breakup. Um, you know, I remember when, which I still haven't seen, by the way, Olivia Munn was shooting X-Men Apocalypse. Um, no, no spoilers. No spoilers. Um, but... Um, you know, I remember reading that Aaron Rodgers would take her puppies to the set to visit her. Um, so, if anything, I'm sad for the puppies. You know, they're pro- well, probably dogs now, but missing missing out on Papa Aaron really is what I'm sad about. That's uh, yeah, that is that is very very tough. But you know, you know, the the life goes on, and Aaron will find happiness. And he, I'm more concerned about who the Packers fans are going to blame now with no Olivia Munn. What? What are they going to do in week seven or eight when Rodgers has started a little bit slower in a slump? Like, who are the think pieces going to be about? That That is my concern. Yeah, Packers fans uh, and narrative drivers, uh, you know, really need to, to up their creativity levels. Because not only did they lose Olivia Munn, they've lost the Eddie Lacy overweight narrative. Um, so it is a rough time for them. It's it's tough, uh, you know. Feel for the uh, the Green Bay beat riders right now. It's it's tough out there. But you know, look, there's still some great power couples in the NFL remaining. Obviously, Jay Cutler and and Kristen. Is it Cavallari? Is that how I? That's that works for me. That's yeah, what right. it, that's um, what it is from that for now on for me. Okay, I I apologize to our US listeners. Look, I do not uh, you know pronounce things properly a lot of the time. 
uh, and it seems to be a, a, a uh, theme this week with a, a Australian news reporter being sacked for like literally making the smallest of errors I've ever seen. That went viral. Did you see that? I did not. Okay. What, what happened? What they, was boxed? It was during the ad break, and she, I think she was like looking down and like at her nails, and it went onto her, and then she just looked up and went, oh, and now to such and such with sport, and that was it, and she got sacked over it. So a lot of um, journalists down here have uh, started the hashtag, put out your bloopers or put your bloopers out to try and support her, or like so people have mentioned times that they've stuffed up live on air or, or during interviews and things like that. But, uh, you know, it's it's a tough week out there for uh, for journalists, I think, uh, in, in Green <laughs> Bay and uh, in the ABC in Australia. But uh, other celebrity couples, you know, we've lost Brad and Angelina, but who's out there? Right. To, who's out there to just make you all warm and fuzzy still, RJ? Well, NFL wise, I uh, I will throw Eric Decker and his wife um, up there. I don't, actually don't. I think her might name her name might be Jesse. Uh, I actually don't know. That is correct. She's a she's a country singer. Yeah. So NFL correct. wise, I'll you know we've got them. We've obviously still got Tom Brady and Giselle, probably the you know the the. Uh, president and first lady of the nfl but from a non-nfl and, perspective and eventually america let's be honest that's true that's very true um but um non-nfl you know i've uh you know in my writing lately the movie deadpool has just sort of been on tv a lot and ryan reynolds and blake lively just adorable everything i want in a celebrity couple they personify hmm. i will throw my hat in the ring for emily blunt and john krasinski um, oh, fantastic. I'm a big fan of them, uh, Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis, uh, mm. and I, I don't mind a little Olivia Wilde and uh, Wilde and uh, Jason Sudeikis. Sudeikis. That one I know for sure is Sudeikis. So you yep. were you should have trusted your intuition. Yep. I uh, again apologize uh, to the Sudeikis family who are listening. <laughs> uh, so Olivia, Olivia Wilde is who you're apologizing to. Yes, uh, basically. But she's fine. Look, we're, we're close. It's all good. Uh, all right. So some other news this week. Uh, ben Roethlisberger obviously uh, announced that he was playing football uh, in a huge shock to all involved uh. in, in football. Uh, and we also learned that a lot, of play, a lot of people are blocked by Ben Roethlisberger. And the Wooten White Show is a part of that exclusive club, or not so exclusive club. We are blocked by Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, I... You know, the big tough guy in football suddenly ain't so tough anymore. Ben Roethlisberger, I think, would be a fascinating um, experiment of science and emotion, uh, apparently. Uh, because, you know, he's apparently attention-starved. I am part of the actually exclusive club that is not blocked by Ben Roethlisberger. There we go. Um, however, it is a, a right that I refuse, and I do not follow him on Twitter. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not just like, hey, just because I'm not blocked, you know, means I'm going to follow you. You know, yeah. you got to earn my follow. Yeah, well, we um, don't follow him to begin with, so it doesn't really bother. But what, what, you know, what comes to mind that you may have tweeted negatively about Ben Roethlisberger? Uh, probably that we thought that his, uh, you know, his stance about retirement uh, was probably for him trying to get attention. That would probably do it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do a little quick uh, Twitter search here uh, to see if... Uh, we if that tweet of ours comes up that we say, you know, what, what's what's fascinating as you search is that's obviously how this account blocked so many people. Just did a search for Ben Roethlisberger and blocked all the negative ones. Roethlisberger, not the easiest name to spell. 
So imagine how many, you know, hateful or unkind tweets there are that, that seemingly have Roethlisberger misspelled yep. that sort of, you know, uh, slid through for that reason. I can't find anything. Um, and it's weird. We are actually big fans of, of Ben Roethlisberger. Our top tweet when we search Roethlisberger is uh, Mike Tanier retweeted something. And that I, we tweeted that maybe Ben Roethlisberger, if he died, his ghost would still be ahead of Landry Jones on the depth chart. Um, which would give the Steelers a clear yeah. advantage. Imagine trying to sack a ghost. That'd be tough. It'd be difficult. And if anything, that would be... If I was Ben Roethlisberger, I'd feel complimented by that. I wouldn't feel slighted at all. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you're lost, Ben, because we're a great follower. And in saying that, you can follow us on Twitter, at WootenY, and you can follow the guest, RJ Choa, at RJ Choa, and I thoroughly recommend it. Let's get into some NFL news. <laughs> It's pretty old news now, but it's been a while since uh, we've recorded uh, some news. I did a draft interview a couple of days ago, but uh, it was just straight to the draft. No uh, no news. So let's talk some Tony Romo, and that's why I've got you here, RJ. Uh, he's retired after 13 seasons in the NFL and has joined CBS uh, to replace Phil Simms, the much maligned Phil Simms. Uh, no, no experience for Tony Romo. Uh, in terms of television, but he's been some, kind of penciled into that role for a long, for a lot of time. I know CBS and Fox have had their eyes on Tony Romo for a long time, and uh, you know Romo he'll finish his career with 34,183 passing yards, which is 29th all time. 248 passing touchdowns, 21st, 65.3% completion rate, which is fifth all time, and a 97.1 passer rating, which is fourth all time and I believe he has the highest fourth quarter quarterback rating of all time as well is that correct that is true also a uh, a fact that I constructed a few years ago that I've just sort of beat the drum to um you know the last couple of years Tony Romo never in his career played a game mathematically eliminated from playoff contention that's you know not a not a numerical thing but I think that tells the tale of who he is yeah and a lot of people just look back on the last few years and and how good the Cowboys offensive line has been but like he only played one full season behind this phenomenal offensive line and that year he was probably second in he was the second in terms of MVP in my mind behind Aaron Rodgers and that was one of Rodgers's best ever seasons but Romo was just unbelievable and long before that he was so good on such bad Dallas teams and I don't care about hearing about playoff wins or playoff records, I, I just find it stupid. It, it, it does not reflect on Tony Romo's ability to play the position whatsoever. No, it, it is. It, I mean, it, at that point, it becomes narrative, as, as we discussed with, with the Green Bay beat riders. But, I mean, you had a, a great tweet, you know, in the immediate fallout of, of this that said, you know, that you felt like understanding Romo's greatness was sort of the barometer for an intelligent football fan. And I think that's a, a wise thing to say. Um, but as somebody who's been a Cowboys fan, you know, forever and, and experienced the, the highs and lows of of uh, the Tony Romo-led Cowboys, you know, looking back on it now, and maybe that's maybe it's time, maybe it's age, maybe it's wisdom, maybe it's just maturity, but I'm grateful for that, if that makes sense. You know, grateful mm. for the, the contentiousness that Tony Romo brought because, you know, for his entire career – understanding his greatness as you implied measured the, the intelligence of a football fan, but it also gave you, uh, you know, 
gave you admit you know admission to a secret club of of people that understood it. you know it, yeah. it, it it was a common denominator for you know rj and y uh that you know you understood immediately as you said okay this is an opinion that that i value and i respect and um and, and i mean you could you could argue that he's the most polarizing player in, in NFL history. Certainly the most polarizing quarterback. A lot of that, I think, has to do with the team he played for. A lot of that is the style of play. A yep. lot of that is the sheer coincidence of his bad moments. Um, but, I mean, you know, you could not tell the story of the NFL without Tony Romo, especially given his, his rise as an undrafted free agent. Yeah, and I find it fitting that the man that replaced him in Dak Prescott had a had a great playoff performance against Green Bay, and it was, you know, a loss that the defense kind of give, gave up, which is kind of ironic because that's a lot of the ways the Cowboys let Romo down in, in, in key games and, and playoff games, in that he played really, really well. It's just the team effort, and I understand that as a, Colts fan in, in terms of times that Peyton Manning has had the amount of times Peyton Manning's had our team up with a minute or, or less left in a game and we've ended up losing in the playoffs because of our defense or special teams is is crazy and I found that kind of a little bit fitting in a weird way that, that Dak sort of underwent the same treatment and everyone sort of gave Dak credit for playing really well in that game whereas if it was Tony Romo it would have been oh another playoff loss but if he played the exact same way it's funny how the opinion differentiates on a, on a certain player because of of a perceived narrative. Exactly. I mean, if you remember that divisional game, Dak had an ill-timed interception, a very, very poor interception in that game. And you're right, if, if that's Tony Romo, uh, that's the play that's remembered, as opposed to now. I mean, and, and this, you know, continues with the, the defense failing their quarterback philosophy. What's the most infamous play from that game? It's third and 20. You know, a defense allows third and 20 to be converted, uh, which is, if you're a quarterback, if you're Tony Romo, Dak Prescott, or Tom Brady, you literally cannot defend at all. Yep. It's, um, it's, it's an insane dichotomy that exists around Tony Romo, uh, but it, it's what made the fact that he had so much success all the more magical. Yeah, exactly, because he, he overcame so much. You don't see undrafted free agents doing what Tony Romo has done in the NFL, it's just, it just does not happen anymore. And I think he might be one of the last that kind of does that uh, in terms of the, in terms of the quarterback position. So look, I appreciate Tony Romo. He's one of my favorite players of all time uh, from a non Cowboys fan. So there's no bias for me. I copped a bit of flack here on Australian radio because I said, if you played Tony Romo with Bill Belichick and those Patriots teams, you know, across his last 13 seasons, I don't think it's that crazy to suggest that Romo might have five rings instead of Brady. I, I don't find that that insane of a stretch at all to me. No, and, and it I mean, I completely agree. But beyond the, the Brady-Belichick uh, sort of tandem, I mean, you consider the AFC East hasn't exactly been, uh, you know, a formidable thing in Tom Brady's career. Tony Romo has had to deal in the NFC East while it hasn't been the, the story division it once was. He had to deal with, with the defenses that Eli Manning brought in the New York Giants. He had to deal with Andy Reid and his greatness in Philadelphia. And people regard RG3's rookie year in 2012 as the greatest single rookie season any quarterback's ever had. And that, you know, happened to coincide with Tony Romo. Yep. I mean, just uh, an incredible uh, combination of effects and details and points that happened to derail him. And as a Colts fan, I... I hope and pray 
Andrew Luck's career is not the same because, you know, for a long time it looked like Peyton Manning was going to be his generation's Dan Marino. Ended up, I think, Tony Romo's his generation's Dan Marino. Uh, you know, if that baton is being passed, I think the most likely carrier of it at this point is indeed your boy Andrew Luck. I know, and it is eerily similar that the Colts uh, are doing the same thing with Luck as they did with Manning and what the Cowboys have done uh, with Romo. Uh, I Look, I think Tony Romo is a Hall of Fame. Um, I, I don't understand why people can't fathom that. Uh, and I always think back to, you know, we're talking Peyton Manning and Romo. I, I think back to that Broncos-Cowboys 58-41 thriller. That may be one of the best games I've ever seen. I know for me the 2005 AFC Championship game is, is the greatest football game of all time. Uh, there's no question. Uh, <laughs> no bias. Uh, but... I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I happened to be in attendance that day. Uh, my dad and I, you know, we do a couple of games every year. We just happened to, we wanted to see Peyton. And as you remember that, that turned out to be Peyton's MVP year, his greatest statistical year any quarterbacks ever had. And obviously the game ended up being phenomenal. It, in my mind, my personal experience and television experience of games is only uh, trumped by Super Bowl 51. Uh, which is, is epic for its own individual reasons. Uh, but, I mean, just an, an incredible Herculean performance by Tony Romo and the most poetically tragic microcosm of his career. Yeah, it, it, it is really sums up uh, Tony Romo. And, you know, he played so good, but the defense lets in 51. You know, it's just that way. And he and, and Manning were just dueling. Like, oh, it was just phenomenal. We haven't seen a game like it in a very, very long time. So, uh for me, Tony Romo, definitely a Hall of Famer. Uh, Hall of Famer, sorry. Did I stutter? Uh, one last thing before we move on. How do you think he'll fare in the uh, the commentary booth? Well, he's obviously a very charming guy. Um, and obviously CBS is, you know, or was excited about the prospect of moving on from Phil Simms. I think it helps Tony Romo that his partner is Jim Nance. Uh, Jim Nance is a professional. He's an upstanding uh, broadcaster and upstanding human being. His book is incredible. I'm a big fan of Jim Nance. Um, you know, and I, I think that, that that, you know, relationship, because so much of, of a great broadcast is the relationship that the two guys provide. Correct. And I think that that's going to really come across well. I think the most challenging element for Romo is the fact that it's, it's CBS. So it's a, a majority of AFC games. And obviously he knows these teams, but, you know, he doesn't know them to the degree he knows for example, the NFC East, but I think uh, I think over time his, he'll find a way to ripple his charisma and charm into uh, into the into the call, and I think it'll be great. I, I do think that the fact that he has this job is an indication of one how Jerry Jones and the Cowboys absolutely did right by him, and two just how powerful the Cowboys brand merged with Tony Romo's brand really is that. You know, granted, Phil Simms isn't anything special, but they unseated a guy who has done multiple Super Bowls and worked in this industry for decades, yep. um, just on on the off chance that Tony Romo's great. And it's fitting that uh, a former Giant gets ousted by a Cowboy. Uh, I love I love you for that. Yes. All right. Let's uh, let's move on. Uh, we could talk about Romo for hours, but then we'd never get to that. Uh, interview with Matt Harmon. So let's talk about Richard Sherman. Uh, so basically there's been some uh, trade rumors swirling around about Richard Sherman and USA Today's Tom Palisaro reports that Sherman isn't going anywhere unless the team blows away the Seahawks. So the Seahawks want a lot to part with Sherman 
uh, Pelissaro writes, I heard it might take something like a first and third round picks. Previous reports said Seattle is looking for a high pick and a very good player, but two high picks would probably get the job done as well. There's also reports that Sherman will only go to a contender. Uh, So he's a 29-year-old corner, owed $22.4 million over the final two years of his contract. Uh, Your thoughts on the Seahawks wanting to trade Richard Sherman? Well, I think the Seahawks are are trying to, you know, be ahead of the curve. And I think we all admire that, um, you know, that move of, of sort of an entrepreneur. But I think that, you know, this has kind of been floating around for a little while now. Yep. Um, and I think that we're starting to finally see the entire NFL has grasped the importance or, or the advantages of, the the new you know what is still new I guess the new CBA and just in terms of how much cheaper uh, rookies are per players on rookie contracts to the point that it's not worth surrendering that capital for as you said a 29 year old guy do 22 million dollars over two years yep um, it's it's just not worth that financially and so uh, I admire the Seahawks ambition. Uh, but I don't think this gets done, and I think ultimately we see some fallout because Richard Sherman's that kind of guy. Yeah, his brother, who apparently takes a, a lot of uh, a, an active role in, in the management of Sherman and, and, and running of his day-to-day business and life, has said that he thinks that people might perceive that way, but he thinks that it might actually give Sherman a bit of a boost, a bit of a, a bigger chip on his shoulder, and things like that. It's it's kind of clear though, that Sherman has kind of rubbed a few people the wrong way in terms of his comments about play calling and and all that sort of stuff. But it is hard to imagine the Seahawks without Richard Sherman. He's kind of become that face of their of he was kind of the face of that historic defense, the one that that blew away the, 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 that great Broncos offense in the Super Bowl. But you know the Patriots get applauded for you know dealing players at the right time, and and Seattle have another franchise that's kind of heading in that direction in terms of the way they're managed and, and always sort of making good personnel decisions, you know, albeit the offensive line's still a mess, but, you know, uh, that seems to be something that they're actively trying to repair, but we'll wait and see how that pans out through the draft. But, look, I, I don't know how many teams would be willing to give up a first and third round pick for a 29-year-old cornerback, uh as good as Sherman is, he's an all-pro and, and one of the best in the game, but he's, he, his scheme is very specific as well. Yeah, I mean, it sounds so great. Um, you know, trade for Richard Sherman and, and everything will be fantastic. But, but again, to the point of, you know, there, there's a number of first-round, second-round corners in, in the upcoming draft yep. uh, to the point that I'd rather have a 22-year-old player for five years uh, and have him, you know, finish that contract well younger than Richard Sherman is now, and who's not going to last five years yep. um, on, on my dollar. I do agree that Richard Sherman has been the face of of the Legion of Boom. I mean, I think he created the Legion of Boom, um, although everyone seemed to regard, rightfully so, Earl Thomas as the most talented player in that secondary. Uh, you're right. It's just awkward. It's just, you know, it doesn't feel right that Richard Sherman would be apart from the Legion of Boom. Yeah, it doesn't feel right. And I, I enjoy your point about the draft. It's not a very good time to, to want to be trading a 29-year-old cornerback, uh, as, as great as he is. Speaking of corners, let's move on. The Falcons signed Desmond Trufant to a five-year, $69 million extension through 2022. Nearly $42 million of it is guaranteed. It's a massive deal, but uh, I I like the deal. I, I think 
the Falcons have done a really great job of building their defense and really improving it as being a, a really bad one. And Trufant plays a big role in that. Uh, I still think if he plays in the Super Bowl, uh, they they win that game. Uh, they, they really should have won it a number of times anyway, and I've spoken about this countless times, and I still think about it countless times. Uh, you know, that Edelman catch went through three Falcons' heads. Unbelievable. Uh, but Trufant <laughs> is definitely worth that money. Uh, he is such an underrated and overlooked player. Uh, I would much rather him than someone like AJ Boye or... Stefan Gilmore, so I'm I like the move by the Falcons. I like it as well, and I think ultimately you you find yourself in positions where this is necessary. Uh, but he's 26, and you know we just spoke of Richard Sherman. I have a feeling that you know three years from now it's the Falcons trying to unload Desmond Trufant for draft capital because you get to that point. It's a it's a game uh, of individuals primarily between the ages. of and 30 and so i think that this will be awesome for the falcons for two years and then you know things will happen dan quinn knows how how to run a, a defense we know that but uh, yep. uh, you know, a lot of that a lot of that money could be back-ended or front-loaded so they can release him in a couple of years for, for no loss but yeah i didn't realize he was already 26 i thought he was much younger than that but uh he has been in the league for a little bit it took a while for him to come on but he's he's really played well the last couple of years uh, all right, moving on. Last little bit of news before our weird web story. The Eagles acquired uh, defensive lineman Timmy Jernigan from the Ravens. The price is a swap of third-round picks with Baltimore getting Philly's number 74 selection and the Ravens sending the pick 99 along with Jernigan. Uh, so pretty much, uh, you know, on the back of the Ravens re-signing Brandon Williams on big money, they, they locked up that nose tackle position and, you know, Philly get a... Uh, Benny Logan replacement in a in a younger version of Jernigan on a rookie deal, and they can re-sign him if if they want at the end of this year. Yeah, I think this is one of those those trades that people say are rare, but actually probably happen more often than we all think. Where, where both parties seem to win, you know, yeah, just kind of you, you look at it and and yeah, you know, everybody kind of wins. It kind of makes sense, and uh, that you know, correct. I don't know why I've always felt like the Eagles and Ravens are connected. I don't know why. Maybe the bird the bird thing. I mean, I don't, I don't know, but just it works. Yeah. But, it's but a good fit I hope, for I hope he's terrible. Yeah. I mean, I hope he's terrible. I <laughs> hope he causes Woot uh, many a nightmare. And uh, But, you know, congratulations to Timmy. Yes, exactly. Oh. He gets to play in uh, Jim Schwartz's defense. It's a good fit. And, you know, in this draft, like 74 to 99 is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really good sweet spot because that's sort of when the – the talent of the sort of the third round there is like, if I'm a team in this draft, I want like six third round picks because that's after that, it kind of drives up a little bit. It's just very middle heavy. So uh, that could be a difference between, you know, a a really good player and a not so great player. So it it worked out well for, uh, for the Ravens as well. All right, let's get into our weird web story. You got to get out of here. This is crazy. You're so weird. No, (laughs) you're really weird. It is a story about AJ McCarron opening a sushi restaurant in Alabama. Uh, You've heard about this story, obviously? I have. I have indeed. Okay, so he opens a sushi restaurant, uh, and it's called Asian Sushi, because, you know, get it? It's like the word Asian, but it's really Asian because his name is AJ, and the symbol is just AJ in, like, weird writing on the side to try and make it look like some sort of Japanese writing. 
but it's just AJ turned on the side. Uh, so, yeah, you were telling me off air that you <laughs> thought this was a weird place to put a sushi. You know, restaurant. Yeah, I mean, shout out to uh, to the land down under. I know there's a lot of Australian listeners, but for those unfamiliar with the United States, you know, geography, Alabama is is the South, um, and you know, just. I mean, you think of sushi, and I don't want to say you think of sophisticated places, and not that Alabama is not sophisticated. It's just, you know, it does not fit. You know, it's just a weird place to put a sushi restaurant. You know what I mean? It just, I, I don't know. It, it it feels clunky. Yeah, and if this doesn't make you feel any better about it, uh, here is a quote uh, from the restaurant. Asian sushi will maintain the traditional proteins like smoked salmon and spicy tuna but will also provide other options like flaming hot Cheeto roll, peanut butter and jelly roll, and the banana and Nutella roll for more daring customers. What even those, in the hell is that? Those, I mean, those sound like fantastic foods, but not things that I want in my sushi. Yeah, or in a sushi restaurant. Like, what are you doing with the peanut butter and jelly roll? Are you mixing that with seaweed or rice? Like, what in the even hell is this? It's, I don't know if you've ever had hot Cheetos before, um, no. but well, they're, they're just, have you ever had Cheetos? Just the standard Cheetos? Yes. Well, so they're just hot. Obviously they're spicy. They're red. Uh, I could kind of see that taste working with, cause you know, some people like spicy sushi, but I, it's just, this is a, I mean, you eat hot Cheetos when, if you're, you know, in, in the States, when you're like in middle school, you know, like after school, everyone's hanging out, you know, waiting to get picked up to go home and, and having a bag of hot Cheetos. It's just a weird uh, I, I don't. I mean, AJ McCarron is a you know is a bird of a different feather. I mean, what can you say? He is a weird cookie. Uh, it's it's such a bizarre. He wants ten restaurants in Alabama, in the state of Alabama, ten Asian sushi restaurants. So it made me think: what other NFL players would you like to see open some sort of restaurant chain or business chain that you think would you know would work? Well. I'm glad you bring this question up because it's the most popular thing I think for players to open a steakhouse. You know, it's, it's a really popular yeah. uh, thing. I've been, I've been to a few. Uh, I don't know how I feel about this now. I want to bounce this off of you, but what if a player on say the dolphins opened a sushi restaurant? Is that playing to the theme or is that actually some sort of cannibalism because it's a dolphin uh, with a sushi and in the same, you know, context, like the Texans, it's a bull opening a steakhouse. Is that is that cool theme wise or is it cannibal? Whew, that's a great question, and it's very late here, so I can't even contemplate even the question. Like I just, I don't even know. I I got nothing. I got nothing on this. Well, I need to be in charge of this because I have many ideas. You okay. know, I think I think a Green Bay Packer, for example, let's pick one, should open a fondue type of restaurant. You know, get you know because Green Bay, Wisconsin, you got all these cheeses. You should take you know advantage of that. A player on the New York Jets should have a fleet of restaurants at airports across the world. Yep. I mean, you know, why are we refusing to use the logos at hand here? Why does no player on the Buffalo Wings have a wing or a Buffalo uh, Bills, excuse me, have a, a Buffalo Wings? <laughs> this is marketing 101. I want Duranya Wilson, the very slow run, uh, wide receiver from last year, to open a gym called Duranias, <laughs> and it's just treadmills. Yeah. I want well, see, I want Darian Griswold, the tight end from last year. I want him to open his own travel company, Griswold's, 
family vacations. Oh, well done. Yeah. Well done. Yes. Why? See, why? Why are these things not happening? <laughs> why doesn't Todd Gurley have a boutique called Gurleys? <laughs> oh, there's just there's just so many. So many player names that you could just jump on here, and I, it's very early in the morning here, so I'm running out of ideas. But like maybe... Andrew Luck needs to open a, uh, a, a you know, either a horseshoe company or a gambling service. Yeah. I mean, you know, does Andrew gotta... Luck strike you as a guy that would enjoy gambling? Well, either a gambling service, to your point, or a four leaf clover shop. You know, <laughs> uh, you know that. There are plenty of. You I know, think options. Western Steelhammer, the safety in this year's draft, should open a store dedicated to Thor. Absolutely. I mean, a, or just a general hardware store. Why Steelhammer? You know why not? Russell Russell Wilson is Mister Corporate Sponsorship. He's got Bose. He's got Microsoft. How is this dude not sponsored by Wilson? <laughs> because or Russell or Russell, they're both brands. Oh, we could go on all day with this. It, we really could. But uh, I uh, I need to get to our interview with uh, Matthew Harmon. Uh, it's, he's, uh, you may have heard of him. And uh, I'm going to cross to that uh, interview in a second. But before we do that, I just want to thank RJ Ochoa for uh, joining the show, albeit very briefly. But I appreciated talking some Romo with you, talking some celebrity couples with you. And uh, AJ McCarran's Sushi Restaurant. And so where can people find you and your work if they haven't done so already? All our new listeners, because if you have been listening, you should already be following RJ. Well, uh, I am on the Twitter machine at RJ Ochoa. And Ocho Live can be viewed every day on Twitter, Periscope, or Facebook Live. You can follow it on Twitter at Ocho Live or like it on Facebook, Ocho Live. Or we're also on YouTube. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel, Ocho Live. It's that simple. Yep. When am I coming on? Uh, fairly soon, actually. We need to talk uh, about yep. the riveting week two preseason matchup between the Cowboys and Colts. Oh, wow. Okay. That goes against every fiber of my uh, body to talk about preseason, but uh, I will do it. <laughs> we will find something to talk about. We, we need to continue this list of, uh, yep. you know, things. Any player on the Titans, open a Greek mythology store. Yep. There we go. Works out very, very well. All right. Thank you, RJ. And uh, here's our interview with Matt Harmon. All right, joining us on the line is Matthew Harmon from NFL.com. He's the creator of Reception Perception. He's one half of the Fantasy Hipsters, host of the popular Backyard Banner podcast, and most importantly, the owner of Charlie. Uh, you can find his content across a number of platforms, including NFL.com, the Fantasy Footballers, including all the draft content we're about to talk to him about, and the Football Guys. And you can follow him on Twitter, at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Welcome back to the Wooten Wise Show. It's good to have you. Oh, guys, it's good to be on. Uh, like we talked before, recording draft season is really uh, kind of coming to an end here, but we've still got to we still got to kill a few weeks here. So I guess we can uh, talk about some takes and this, that, and the other. But thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, always good to be with you guys. Yeah, thanks. I love that you chose to kill your weeks with us. That's yeah, <laughs> your free moments before uh, fantasy season ramps up, and you're spending it uh, talking to a couple of Brussels sprout deniers down under. It does. It does seem to be that, like, because your your guys' buddy Justin Twell was on my podcast, obviously, and you know we've DM'd back and forth about the whole Brussels sprouts thing. Is this just like an Australia thing? Like, do you guys just that down there just not 
uh, not like Brussels sprouts? Do I need to make like a pilgrimage to uh, Australia and kind of spread the Brussels sprouts gospel? What's what's going on here? The Matthew Harmon down under Brussels sprouts tour. <laughs> no, I I mean I can't speak for why, but I mean I was I was kind of uh, it just you know it wasn't a part of my diet for quite some time until I met my girlfriend and then their family kind of had them regularly and now I I don't know. It's it's um it's appropriate that you're part of the fantasy hipsters because I feel like the sprouts are going to be like the next kale. They're going to be you know they're going to be making that uh, leap into everyone's diet. That I think I don't know. I'll, I so I right now. and I personally <laughs> like it in like a curry or something. If you <laughs> if we're going down that. I, well, I, it's funny because I've heard that like Brussels sprouts have already kind of happened. Like they kind of already had their ooh, moment, and almost now they're post-time. going into like the main. Yeah, they're kind of like they're kind of going into the mainstream at this point. Like if you go out to bars out here in L.A., like a lot of which maybe L.A. is not like the best judgment of like what's normal. But <laughs> you, you, you go out and, you know, they'll have like Brussels sprouts. They'll have sometimes they'll have bacon in it, which I have mixed feelings on that. But whatever, wow. you know, they'll have bacon in there. Uh, they'll have like, you know, maybe cooked in balsamic or something like, you know, these really trendy sort of Brussels sprouts dishes. Now, I'm more of a traditionalist, but whatever. But <laughs> see, I think the up and coming the up and coming vegetable is actually cauliflower, which I have experimented around with, too. That is you definitely see like places out here with these interesting little cauliflower dishes. Like I've made cauliflower like pizza dough before. It's quite that's wow, the up and coming really vegetable. Yeah, it's uh, I'm always team broccoli and have been and will be for life. And just on twelve, he doesn't like Vegemite, so like his food takes are not great. He can't yeah, be trusted. Well, we can't all be perfect. We can't all be perfect. You can't not like Vegemite while you live in Australia. But I guess he has an excuse because he's he's a pom. He's not really like. Well, he is Australian, but he's not technically Australian. I don't know. Is that is that a bit? Yeah, racist? we'll go with that. I don't we'll know. Maybe. <laughs> anyway. Um, I did have one line that I wanted to say to you about Brussels sprouts, and it is a great one. Uh, did you hear about the weightlifting vegetable? Um, no. He was a muscle sprout. <laughs> oh, wow. This, this is, uh, you know, this is quite a moment. I, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit, <laughs> I'm a little bit anti-pun, so this is like you're really kind of converging oh, no. on two of my... Two of my friends here. All right. I don't know what's enough. going on. Okay. That's right. I just say I'd rather fly United Airlines than eat a Brussels sprout. <laughs> wow. Whoa. That's heavy. That's heavy and very hip and current of you. Yes. All right. Well, let's, um, before we hit Matt hangs up on us because of my terrible takes, <laughs> uh, let's get into some uh, wide receiver questions. And, uh, and that's the reason we have got you in here. You are the creator of Reception Perception. And if people want to hear, what reception perception is, I'm not going to get Matt to explain it again because he probably has to do that a hundred times. Just go back and listen to the old episode uh, that we had with Matt, plus it gets us more plays. So. <laughs> We're yeah. being honest there. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, all right, Matt. Um, my team last season, the Eagles uh, desperately needed wide receiver help, and in this offseason, they've gone out and got Torrey Smith and Alshon Jeffrey. What what can we expect from these guys in the Eagles' offense with Carson Wentz? Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty fascinating because... You know, obviously, like you mentioned, they clearly needed wide receivers and they attacked that position with uh, with ferocity this offseason, which is good to see. Like, it's it's always good to see, like, all right, this is a problem. Let's just go fix it. Um, and I, I think it's I think it's a really good kind of one, two, three now at this point with um, Alshon Jeffrey, Jordan Matthews and Torrey Smith. I think they all will fit right into really good roles. 
Alshon Jeffrey provided that he's healthy, which is, you know, never a given with mm-hmm. Alshon um, these days. But, you know, provided that he's healthy, he should be able to kind of fit in as their top wide receiver, a true number one wide receiver, which which I think he is maybe on the lower end of that spectrum. But, you know, nevertheless, I, I do think that he's uh, a, he can play the traditional number one receiver role, be the ex split end guy. I think Torrey Smith still has game left. I know it's been a rough few seasons in San Francisco. I think some of that is um, obviously on a dysfunctional offense, even last year with Chip Kelly and, you know, upping the play volume that didn't really turn into fantasy success. Like people like myself thought it would Um, whoops, but I still think that he can stretch the field. And, and even if he uh, isn't necessarily, even if he's not all that productive, uh, the value of a burner like that is something that the Eagles didn't have last year and will open up the field for other players. Um, and Jordan Matthews, I still think is, is kind of, you know, he's gone between like being overrated to underrated, a little underappreciated now at this point, I think he can fit right back into the primarily playing the big slot role that he has in under chip Kelly and, and was still mostly in the slot last year, but I think he'll be a really highly successful player there. You know, it's going to be tough to project. And then with Zach Ertz, obviously drawing targets, it's, it's going to be tough to kind of project those guys all for, you know, big time statistical seasons. But I think like from a passing game setup, they are, they are pretty well established now with the one, two, three. I still think they spend, um, you know, a, a top three round pick on a wide receiver because, you know, Torrey Smith's deal is is not much. He's got like barely any guaranteed money on there. So, Alshon's only signed on a one year deal. So I think they still add wide receivers in the draft, though. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And I think the I think it'll be good for uh, Matthews with the expectation, uh, you know, lifted with the additions of um, Torrey and Alshon because, you know, the last few seasons, it's all been on. Now he'll be George. properly rated. He's been overrated, <laughs> underrated. Now he's just going to be rated. <laughs> right? Yeah. Law of averages. Thanks, I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my Colts, they added uh, Kamar Aiken. And I've often felt that Aiken is a bit overlooked and underappreciated as a wide receiver. And I think he can thrive in that Colts offense. If I'm Philip Dorsett, I'm a little bit nervous right now. How do you think he'll fare in this aerial attack? I know you've written about Kamar Aiken uh, before as well. Yeah, we're uh, we're 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 talking from Torrey Smith to Kamar Aiken, all of the uh, late round wide receivers that Matt Harmon overrated in 2016. This is really fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I have I've always had a, a good appreciation for uh, Kamar Aiken uh, after he released. I mean, in 2015, I thought he had a legitimate breakthrough season in his career. You know, he's long been a special teams player, kind of a, a bit wide receiver. But when you go back and look at that 2015 season. Uh, when Steve Smith got hurt, he stepped in and really played the number one receiver role. And then he only lasted with Joe Flacco, like, you know, for a couple of minutes there until then at the end of the season, while still being productive, he was playing with quarterbacks like Jimmy Clausen and Ryan Mallett. I mean, get out of here and was still, like I said, producing really well. And then when I went back and looked at his reception perception from that year, he was above average at beating man coverage, above average at beating zone coverage, just around the league average at beating press coverage. So I think he's definitely a player that you want to move around the formation, have him play a little bit of slot, mostly flanker on the outside. And I think that's what the Colts kind of need right now is a player that can kind of function as that third receiver and fit in with a bunch of spots. Obviously, People are disappointed with Aiken after really, you know, not doing anything last season. But I think you also have to remember that the NF- with the NFL, so much is about pedigree and what you've invested in players. And, you know, obviously he was not going to supersede a healthy Steve Smith. And Steve Smith was somehow healthy last year. 
got back to being that number one receiver for the Ravens. You know, they signed Mike Wallace to a good deal. Obviously, they're going to play him over a player like Aiken. And then yep. Brashad Perryman kind of split that number three role. And, of course, they invested a first-round pick in Brashad Perryman. And when you talk about first-round pick investments, that, that's something that the current GM did not do with a player like Philip Dorsett, who I think Aiken could come in and push and maybe even break, uh, maybe even start over uh, Dorsett in three wide receiver formations. So I love the signing for uh, for Indianapolis. I am really hopeful that Aiken grows into uh, a fine player there and, and plays a role. Yeah, exactly. And they're not going to ask him to do too much. He's just going to be their number three or number four guy. So I think uh, I think it's going to be a, a good fit. We kind of lacked a chain mover apart from Jack Doyle. So uh, it's. Uh, it is a uh, a nice little fit very late in free agency. Uh, moving on to the draft, uh, the character versus the ability test is you know been a hot topic this draft season with you know players like Joe Mixon, um, but we've also have you know a few lesser known cases at the wide receiver position in Ishmael Zamora and Didi Westbrook. Looking beyond these character issues, um, and especially with Zamora, uh, you know, being a dog owner yourself and, and Wood and I both dog lovers, it's very tough to get over what he did. But what did you see on tape with these two receivers? And, and in your opinion, are they worth a late round investment? Yeah, so starting with Zamora, obviously, like you mentioned, the video that uh, is out there with him and his dog is is horrific. I mean, there's there's nothing it's so bad. Uh, espe- yeah, it's awful, and especially like you said, as a dog owner. I mean, I remember watching it, like looking over at my dog. I'm like, oh my god, like just it's a lot of emotion, mm. um, you know. But I think the question that teams are going to have to ask themselves, and I don't have the answer to this, is was that a you know quote unquote mistake like was it a one-time thing or is this a pattern of repeated behavior um the little i've heard is that that it's mostly like he's a good kid he's just immature and and you know maybe a little bit not not uh not understanding like what is acceptable in a society (laughs) or uh like it's sort of that sort of situation so maybe he's not like a bad person or whatever i don't know don't know the guy so hard for me to make a judgment but that's what question teams are going to have to ask themselves but in in terms of his ability yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of potential. Um, obviously, he comes from the Baylor offense where he's only running routes from one side of the field. Pretty much over over 90% of his uh, snaps and his reception perception sample came from left wide receiver. Yep. Not a player that is a ton of experience playing different spots. Um, really only ran a handful of routes. However, he was... Um, above the uh, above the two year average at beating uh, beating press coverage, he was which he rarely saw, but nevertheless showed pretty well against. Could get off the jam was really successful against zone coverage and just about average beating man coverage. But you see incredible moments from him. Strong player after the catch in my metrics, and also with an eighty percent conversion rate on contested catches. You know that his what he can do is go deep and play the ball in the air. So. Mm-hmm. I think there's a place for Zamora. I think he's absolutely worth a late round pick uh, if you pass off on him as a human being. And I think he has plenty of upside for sure. I mean, the Martavis Bryant example is an easy one to make because, you know, Bryant came in with, I mean, different concerns, but I think unfortunately the NFL often like just lumps character concerns together. Bryant was more about work ethic and all that sort of thing, but I mean, it can pay off in a similar sort of situation. Yep. Uh, and then talking about D.D. Westbrook, he's a player I just wrote up, actually. And you can find all these pieces on receptionperception.com, easy landing page awesome. to go to there. Yeah, D.D. Westbrook, 
he did not show up too well in reception perception in in most areas was solid after the catch solid at beating zone coverage had a few routes that he was above the two-year prospect average at beating but you know, in terms of like post routes and curl routes which i i think he like he can fit in the nfl as a big play specialist but I don't know if he has the potential to grow into a quality starter. If you look at his success rate versus coverage scores under the two year average at 53.4% beating man coverage. And that was below the 20th percentile. And then his success rate versus press coverage was really disturbing at 33.3%. That was the worst score actually over the last two years, which I think if you look at this game, that kind of makes some sense. So with, with all the red flags that come with Westbrook, you know, not just, he has off the field concerns with, you know, family violence complaints in the past. He has, he's 24, he'll be 24 years old as a rookie. Uh, so what kind of upside is really there? He also is rail thin. So there might be injury concerns and he apparently really turned teams off with his interviews in the combine. Hard for me to suggest that he is worth a, you know, top four round draft pick at this point, just based off his play. So he might fall out of the draft altogether. Honestly, is he related to Russell Westbrook? I just Googled DD Westbrook and that was the top, item was is he related to russell westbrook <laughs> those those top like the top search google things are always a treat I know, um, they're, they're you know the... yeah i know that uh are people people out there are weird man i don't know what to say <laughs> i know uh matt waldman when he was googling josh reynolds the other wide receiver um there's an nrl player down here called josh reynolds who has infamously tripped a number of players and is, is quite dirty and i don't know when matt Harmon uh googled him that it kept coming up with the NRL player Josh Reynolds <laughs> and a photo of him um, actually with his bum exposed on the field as well, which is, you know, made me giggle a little bit. Wow. <laughs> there you go. Um, okay. The the consensus big three at wide receiver um, among most or all draft analysts seems to be Mike Williams, Corey Davis, and the speedy John Ross. How did each of them test for you? So wh- where, did, uh, where did they win and what offense or team would you like to see them play in? Yeah, I think fitting those guys to teams is is important. Um, Mm. We talked about Alshon Jeffrey earlier, um, and I think Mike Williams kind of in a sort of similar way needs to be with a quarterback willing to throw into tight coverage. I actually really before Alshon signed there, I really liked the fit with Carson Wentz. So did I. (laughs) I I was all about it. You guys know I. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense from just the way he plays to the way, you know, kind of the targets that. Uh, Williams drew from Deshaun Watson. You guys know I do some work with the next gen stats yeah. during the season with the NFL network. And um, one of the stats that was really interesting that we developed this year was how often quarterbacks throw into tight windows. And Carson Wentz ranked inside the top 10 on percentage of passes thrown into tight windows last year. So certainly somebody that is aggressive, but his completion percentage on those throws, you know, 20 plus air yards down the field was not too great. And I think that had a lot to do with he did not have a ton of players that could win those sort of contested catches. So that's why I think a player like Mike Williams really needs to go to a quarterback like that that's willing to throw him into tight coverage. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, it, off the top of my head, it, it's hard to think of him as like a player in Tennessee that would work really well. But I think somebody like Corey Davis would with a timing and anticipation passer, you know, like a Marcus Mariota or, you know, even in sort of, I don't know if like Buffalo is the best fit for this, but I think they need somebody uh, that, and that might be a good fit for Mike Williams because Corey Davis and Sammy Watkins to me are pretty similar players. So maybe you want kind of a little bit of a different flavor there. 
I think every I think pretty much any team could use a player like a Corey Davis, though, a guy that separates really well and is great after the catch. You know, you get him going on a few slant routes and I think he can really make plays for you. Um, and I think he he has the he's my favorite receiver in this draft in terms of like who's my top ranked guy. Mm. So I think any, pretty much any team could use a player like Corey Davis. And then John Ross is another guy that, you know, he's um, he, and he's another player that I think every team needs speed. But when you look at Carolina, I think he would replace what Ted Ginn gave them and give them a little bit more. Cam Newton really just needs somebody at this point to. Um, to, 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 to separate early in their routes. He doesn't have any player like that with Devin Funches or Calvin Benjamin. So yeah. I, I think that would be a great fit, though. I, I would be shocked if they would take him at eight overall. I, that would be the, probably the surprise of the draft. So probably not realistic, but that's a fit that makes a lot of sense to me. Though I will tell you, those guys are not my top three. I have a different receiver inside of my top three, so maybe might, I'm off. I think that might be my next uh, my next question uh, is about a receiver that I have a feeling might be yeah, in your – in your top three, and I'll, uh, I'll get you to explain that in a second. Uh, by the way, I do love that John Ross to Carolina fit. I, I'm holding out hope that they do take a gamble on that because uh, a sports book down here offered $9 on John Ross to be the uh, first wide receiver taken, and I uh, I invested. Ooh. So uh, we'll wait and see. <laughs> uh, so last year you pounded the table for Sterling Shepard, and this year it feels like Chris Godwin is your guy. Um, and you wrote a piece uh, you know, saying that he was the most underrated receiver in this draft. My question for you is, how can a guy whose surname has literally the words God and win in it be underrated? But why is he so underrated? And, you know, you said that he's, I have a feeling this is the guy in your top three. Uh, where does he rank for you, you know, overall? And, 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 and what is it with you and Penn State wide receivers? It's a great question about the Penn State wide receiver. I think they need to, uh, the university needs to go ahead and reach out to me and uh, kind of <laughs> hire me as like their personal hype man, it seems, for their <laughs> <crazy>. wide receivers. <laughs> Give me like the two-year update on this. I can I, I can do this for you guys. If Penn, <laughs> Penn State, if you're listening, hit hit up the DMs. I'm I'm open to this. We uh, have but a anyways. famous alum, alumni, Penn State alumni, on our show every now and then. Uh, Shannon Furman from NFL Films. We might just uh, we'll get you guys in touch. Oh well. Yep. Yeah. No kidding. Somebody needs to put me in touch with yep. that place. Considering all I've all I've done for them, no, hardly <laughs> anything. But. Uh, it, I I published that piece on Chris Godwin prior to the NFL draft, and I think. Obviously, if you are familiar with what he did at the draft, he really blew it up. I believe he was in the 88th percentile in Spark Athletic Testing, ran a 4-4, really did great in the broad jump, the three-cone drill, etc. Um, so I think he might not, he might no longer be overrated, but at that point he was. And, and so I do a lot, of, um, a lot of this charting work like at the end of the NFL season or either – when the when the playoff games are going on, uh, just like at the tail end of college football season, sometimes even during the regular season. So back then, you know, I, I'm just checking out a few draft rankings to like kind of know who the top guys are to chart. And like I see this guy, Chris Godwin, in like the third to fourth round range. Um, and I throw on the tape of that uh, that bowl game at the oh, against so the good. USC, which I remember watching live and being like, whoa, this guy's good. But uh, then going back and actually charting that game for reception perception. Best game I've looked at for a wide receiver all year, hands down. Um, and he is the guy that is my wide receiver three. And and this is why. So you look at look at like contested catches, and that's what Mike Williams is supposed to be really great at. And he and he is eighty one point three percent success rate in reception perception. That's a top five score over the last two years. However, Chris Godwin at eighty five point seven percent has the highest contested catch conversion rate. So. Mm. 
he's already Mike Williams equal or maybe even a little bit better at the attribute in which Williams is supposed to be the best in. Now, then you go and look at their route running ability, their ability to separate, and Godwin beats him in success rate versus man coverage at 75 or 73.5% for Godwin and 69.7% for Mike Williams. Godwin is also above the the two-year prospect average in zone, press, and double coverage as well. And so, again, if he's a better separator and equal or better at uh, at winning contested catches, other than being bigger than than Chris Godwin, I don't think Williams does anything better than than Chris Godwin. Godwin's also younger; he's more athletic. That's certified via their athletic testing. So, yep. I, it's it's hard to make the argument for Williams over Godwin to me other than just perspective. So yeah, Godwin is my wide receiver three in this class behind Corey Davis and John Ross. And he is absolutely a guy I'm, I'm pounding the table for. I will not be surprised. Um, I've heard rumblings about this. I know, I know a few teams do have first, I've heard a few teams don't have first round grades on him. I don't know if he goes in the first round, but he's going to go in the second. I would be shocked if he's there in the third. Do you have a player comp for him? Uh, I know you, you brought up Martavis Bryant's name with, with Zamora and you've, you've mentioned a few, I know, you know, most, some people aren't a big fan of it, but, uh, when you watch Chris Godwin, it's hard to really think of who, uh, when I watched him, it was hard to think of who he reminded me of. Me too. He's kind of a similar player to like Malcolm Mitchell last year, I think. Um, that's a, And he was another guy that I liked from last year's draft. But, you know, I saw uh, playerprofiler.com has uh, Pierre Garçon as his like best athletic testing yep. and uh, comparable and, you know, and also college production, this, that and the other. And, you know, that actually does kind of make a lot of sense to me. And I think Mike Taglier from uh, now Fantasy Pros, I think he made that comparison too. And that's a pretty good one. And And that might not like you know, that might be a little underwhelming to some people, but Garcon has had a really good career. He had a great year last year in Washington, um, despite not being like a true number one receiver. You know, he can win the ball in the air. He separates really well underneath. Um, and I think that's the kind of the player that Godwin is as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I have a good one off the top of my head, but uh, mm-hmm. I think that Garcon one makes sense because, you know, Godwin's also not, he's about six six one and just under 210 pounds. So he's not, you know, the, the biggest receiver ever, but some guys use, great timing and technique to win contested catches. And I think that's the way Godwin plays. Yeah. Uh, mock draftable. I think the sort of the biggest name that comes out is like Benny Fowler at like 90%, but the rest of them are weird names. Some, some names I have never heard of before. Um, <laughs> Armin Shields, Jason McAdley, like, I don't know, receivers that aren't in the league anymore or are bouncing around practice squads. So um, that's always interesting. Yeah, they're comparable. The comparable games is tough. Yep, <laughs> it's fun though. I don't mind it. I like uh, I like looking at mock draftable and seeing uh, seeing some uh, names out there. You get a little bit excited when you do a position switch and see see some things. Eh. <laughs> I get bored sometimes. <laughs> a lot of the time. Yep. Here you go. Uh, Matt, why is Zay Jones uh, this year's most confusing and polarizing uh, receiver prospect? Yeah, um, <laughs> Zay Jones is tough because, you know, he, he has really smashed the pre-draft process. There's there's no question about it. Um, when you look at, at the fact that he had rave reviews at the Senior Bowl, um, you know, I don't, I don't go to the Senior Bowl. Uh, I don't really watch it on TV either. So uh, that's not really a part of like a big part of my process or, or whatever. Yep. Uh, but everybody down there had great things to say about him. Then he goes out and has the best. Uh, spark score or uh, not maybe it was either the best or second best I mean he had a great athletic testing at the combine uh, 94th percentile among NFL wide receivers uh, that's per Zach Whitman of three sigma athlete who yep. calculates this stuff great work there if you if you're not familiar check it out um, 
so obviously he's athletic. He's had a great. He's was super productive in college. But then when you look at his reception perception, if you just check out his route percentage chart, eleven point five percent of his routes were dig routes. Twenty point eight percent of his routes were curl routes. Slants at eighteen point six percent and screens at thirteen point four percent. Those were the only routes that he ran at at to the two year prospect average or above. I mean, that is a lot of just short to intermediate sort of routes, 64.3% overall of the of his routes on just those four patterns. So, you know, I think you can make the argument that a lot of what he did at, at East Carolina was just, you know, force-fed touches on those short routes. But again, that can be a good thing that they just decided this was, we're going to get this guy the ball no matter what. Um, his success rate versus coverage scores are are, are solid. Uh, he's at the two-year prospect average in beating man coverage, uh, above the two-year prospect average of beating zone coverage, but below it at beating press coverage and not the best in contested catches either. So I think Zay Jones is confusing because it's, it's tough to kind of just like mix all of these metrics together. They all sort of mm. kind of seem to paint a different picture of his pro prospects, but I'm at the point now where I like Zay Jones. I think that he is going to fit in the NFL in some way. Like at worst, I think you're getting a really solid slot receiver who can play outside occasionally and be, you know, a a really good complimentary receiver. But uh, again, it's just hard to justify all the metrics together, but I think he's certainly a solid prospect that should go uh, at some point on the second day and and grow into a a good complimentary player. He was getting a lot of first-round hype about a month ago, and then I think I heard you on Roto World talking with Josh Norris, and then I watched some tape, and I tweeted something about, you know, I wouldn't take Zay Jones in the first round, and then, like, four days later, I get a I get a notification, Zay Jones liked the tweet. So, like, he's he's out there looking for, looking for fuel to the fire. <laughs> so, he's motivated. I love that, though. It's, it's always fun when the... Um when the players like search their names on Twitter and whatever, you know, whatever, whatever, Hey man, whatever you, you guys, they, they do a crazy job. They do something I wouldn't do. No, <laughs> I wouldn't exactly. want to be, I wouldn't want to be playing football and getting hit and stuff. So whatever they got to do to psych themselves into this is fine with me. I thought it funny last off season. Cause Michael Thomas, the now saints receiver, yep. he is big fan of searching his name. <laughs> He's <laughs> he awesome. likes to do that. Yeah. He's that's, great. Yeah. That's I love, boy. Well, Mike Thomas, Michael Thomas is, is fantastic, but the funny part is last year that there was the two Michael Thomases, yep. and a couple times like he would like or retweet a tweet, and I was like, oh, dude, I was actually I was, I was actually talking <laughs> about the other guy. Talking about Southern Carolina, wasn't it, Mike Thomas? It's Southern, yeah, Southern Mississippi. Yeah, it's in Southern Mississippi. There we go. I, I know that uh, Cordero Patterson has you blocked as well on Twitter. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a funny – it's like a funny little anecdote to this weird little career I've built out of this And that, like, I was uh, – <laughs> you know, I was one – I was a big Cordero Patterson supporter. Uh, you know, the people who have followed me, like, since the beginning of, of my writing journey know about the, the original Cordero Patterson article and, like, will still – that's how I know who my true, my true people are, the ones who will still give me grief about Patterson. And then I see I have – like, he has me blocked. I'm like, dude, man, this is weird. I've been standing up for you for years. <laughs> but, hey, it's all, it's all good. <laughs> all good. All part of fun. Um, Matt, l- last podcast we came up with the nickname um, of Chad Hansom for uh, wide receiver Chad Hansom. Firstly, do, do you like and endorse this nickname? Okay, remind me what the nickname was again. <laughs> We're going with Chad Hansen because Chad Hansen is such a, you know, great looking great looking young wide receiver. Yeah, no, well, I mean, he is a f- handsome man, so yes. I can get on on board with that. All right. So very handsome. We've got an endorsement. Grace, two from we, two. We've got one, one person. They like Chad Hansen. All right. Um, 
Yeah, and secondly, why are you treading carefully with him as a prospect? And and in particular, your study on progression of wide receivers from college to the NFL who only line up on certain sides of the field. Yeah, so this is a great point that I I feel like I hammer on in these prospect profiles like every single one that I do because but I think it's important uh because it is sort of, you know, we're in like the early portion of this, so we can't like say this is a trend yet. But something that I've noticed from working with uh, the last two draft classes in full and then 2015 in partial samples is these players that line up exclusively on one side of the field seem to transition to the NFL a little bit slower. Now, um, Doriel Green Beckham and Kevin White are kind of the ones that we have the the widest sample on after three years in, in the NFL for these or two years in the NFL from these guys. Um Green Beckham lined up on the left side almost almost entirely. Kevin White on the right side almost entirely. Both of those guys have struggled to make good on their talent uh, mm. at the NFL level. Uh, Green Beckham actually has the highest receiving yards out of all the players that I have in my database over the last three years. Uh, Corey Coleman, Josh Doxson, like they had some injuries, but neither one of them really – I mean, Corey Coleman made some plays, but, you know, wasn't a, obviously in the Browns offense like that probably had a lot to do with it too but Laquan Treadwell's another one like 85% of his snaps at left wide receiver uh and he, we know that he had literally a catch as a rookie so maybe this is something that we should start to be jeez I mean this is maybe this is something that we should really start to be paying attention to yeah. as an indicator of a slow progression you look at some of the guys this year I mean We've got Juju Smith-Schuster, D.D. Westbrook, Chad Hansen, as we're talking about, our Darius Stewart's another one, Taewon Taylor, Ishmael Zamor, and Josh Reynolds are the ones that I think qualify this year as playing over 70% of their snaps on one side of the field. Um, and Chad Hansen, speaking of him, he has a, the, not, the highest percent at 97.5% of his snaps at right wide receiver. Now, the reason I think this is important, because sometimes like numbers are just numbers and we should just take it as you know not not take it too too deeply but i mm. think this makes sense from a playing perspective because if you think about the wide receiver position you know at the nfl level it is unusual to see a player even take like 60 percent of his snaps from one side of the field you are really tasked with moving around a lot you might still be playing x receiver but you're going to be playing it on the left and right side yep. and you know this is a small bit of a tangent here but i i think we can follow along yeah, like awesome. a lot a lot of a lot of like a lot of what it is is just muscle memory. You know, if you are trained to master all your release moves from the right side of the field, you know, you're you're going to time time to use the boundary on the right side of the field. It's just hard to then transition it your body to do it the other way. You're timing your breaks all at just one side of the field. Again, it is just a muscle memory thing. So much of football, especially wide receiver, because you're running a wide variety of routes all game, is just repetition, repetition, repetition. And when you're just trained to dominate this one position, it's going to be harder to move around the formation at the next level. And that might be why some of these guys are getting slower starts. So I don't think it's necessarily a you know, indicator of future busts at the NFL level, but I think it makes sense that you would take a little longer to transition. Yep. And for Chad Hansen in particular, with just such a limited uh, variety, and the only other player that I have with a higher percentage is Kenny Lawler last year, who came from the same offense. You know, these guys just again, they're not only are they he's only running routes from one side of the field. He's primarily only running slants, curls, nines and digs. So I think he just needs to have a lot of it. Uh, 
he's going to take a little bit longer of a learning curve than some of these other players. And, you know, not to mention his results weren't all that great in general. So what are you really hoping for there in the first couple of years? So that's why I think I'm treading lightly with him and also monitoring going forward players with a similar usage rate. Yeah, with the with the usage rate, and how many more years of data before we can, you know, definitely see the link? Like, it's clear already that there is some sort of correlation there, but how many more years of data do you think you'd need to, to really to, to show that this is definitely a trend? It's always tough to know the absolute answer to that beforehand. Yep. Um, I think if we see players this year have a similar sort of uh, – slower learning curve um especially guys like maybe a juju smith schuster who i think of all of the players that i talked about there is likely to be the first one off the board uh maybe a player like taewon taylor could challenge him for that um but some of these you know so you always have to wonder like are these false indicators too because i mean kevin white and doriel green beckham were high in prospects same with laquan treadwell um, those guys, I think, give you a good case for this, but yep. it's a, it might be a thing where like, oh, well, Chad Hansen didn't make a lot of a year one impact because he was a fourth round pick, not necessarily because he was, uh, he always played on one side of the field in college. So, I mean, it's hard to say in five, you know, maybe three years from now, we can definitely say after like having five years worth of draft classes, we can say it's something, but you know, it, 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 a trend doesn't mean, uh, that it's always going to be this way. It just means like it's a, it's something we're seeing, but yep. I would say in, in three years, we'll know for, sh- we'll have a little bit better of an idea, but even then it's uh, still a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of shooting around in the dark. Perfect. Is there any late round prospects that you fancy any, any role players or wide receivers that really, you know, thrive in, in certain aspects of the position or, or the route tree that you've charted? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's there's several guys. I think this is a really deep wide receiver class. It's not top-heavy. Um, I think, you know, the consensus top three, as we talked about earlier, Mike Williams, Corey Davis, and John Ross. Like, I think maybe Corey Davis is the only one who can grow into a true alpha dog, you know, in the early stages of his NFL career. But when you look at the, the guys that could go on day two and day three, there's a lot of exciting players. You know, Isaiah Ford is somebody that, um, was pressed 94 times in his reception perception sample. That's the most of any college receiver, but had an 88th percentile success rate at 81.9%. So he's a player I like. I mean, that's great. You know, that might be the only thing that he's good at is like separating. He's not dominant on contested catches and not great after the catch, but you know, I think he can be a productive role player in the NFL at, at worst. Cause I just, in my opinion, there is always a place for guys that can separate like that. Yep. Um, Carlos Henderson is a day two player. In my opinion, he absolutely smashed success rate versus coverage scores and also was incredible after the catch. He broke multiple tackles on 39% of his in-space attempts and reception perception. Um, that's like the, the second place score is 22%. So, and I know PFF has a similar broken tackle stat. So he's great. In, I think he at worst offers you a playmaker in the open field. Um, Then you get kind of into the day three range where there's players like Ryan Switzer, who I think is just the prototypical slot receiver. You know, he was great in a number of areas, but much like a player like Jamison Crowder or Doug Baldwin, he wasn't just winning on sort of screens and, and slants. He was used on a lot more intermediate routes. And I think that's a good sign for him. Like, if he goes to the right place, he's going to catch, you know, 90 passes at some point in his NFL career. And at worst, I think he's an easy 60, 70 catch player uh, very soon. Guys like Josh Reynolds, uh, above average at every branch of success rate versus coverage. 
you know, he's another player that might take a little while to get going because of the offense that he came from and only playing on one side of the field, but pretty solid after the catch, pretty solid in contested situations too. So this draft class has a lot of different flavors, you know, and, you know, kind of down the line, there's a player like Erdaria Stewart, who's another player that's great after the catch and great at beating zone coverage that I think is a future role player at the NFL level. So this class offers a lot of different flavors and a lot of players that I really like. Feels like that with a lot of positions in this draft from people that we've spoken to is it's not very top heavy, but um, there's just, it feels like there's 70 to 80, like round two graded prospect. Oh, for sure. I think, I think this is just a draft that, you know, if you need a wide receiver, uh, maybe you don't take one in the first round. You know, we're talking about with uh, with uh, Woots Eagles. Like, I can absolutely see them taking a stab at, at one of these players in the second to third round, maybe letting them kind of not play a big role with behind guys like Alshon Jeffrey, Torrey Smith, Jordan Matthews, and then maybe next year they re-kind of assess uh, the situations of the contracts of some of those veterans. And then maybe they pass the reins to a player like a Carlos Henderson after taking him in the second or third round. Um, you know, there's a lot, uh, there's just a lot of players that I think are appealing to different schemes, different, uh, different offensive philosophies. And I think, again, like I said, day two and day three is really the, the meat of this wide receiver class. Me. Yeah. I mean, I- I'm, ex- I'm excited. I have no idea what the Eagles are going to do at their, at their spot. <laughs> It's fun. I know, it's great. Uh, i got one last question, uh, and then I'll see if Wood has any more. You mentioned Laquan Treadwell before. Like he, He's still only 21 years old, and, and everyone seems to be throwing in the towel on him, but you know the proof is in the pudding in college. Like He, he can do it. It's just, it just you know, quite hasn't translated yet. Yeah, it's, it's tough with Laquan right now. I mean, because I mean, the history of wide receivers that are just that unproductive in their rookie year is not great. Um, I think Treadwell, I mean, like I like you said, the proof is in the pudding in, in terms of his reception perception was, you know, I thought a really good technical receiver. I, I think his athleticism is, I mean, there's no way of denying it. It is limited based on his testing. Um, you know, maybe that net, net leg injury did sap some of that forever. But, you know, he was great on contested catches. He was a good route runner overall, just good enough with separation that I thought he was going to be a clear good pro prospect and somebody that could even help right away. <laughs> Clearly that did not happen. Nah. Um, so <laughs> I think honestly, the question is, I mean, there's just no way to be aggressive about projecting optimism for Treadwell. I mean, you have to essentially be completely on high alert for, for anything. I mean, for any sort of impact and not to mention guys, like I, I like the makings of the Vikings wide receiver core at this point. I think Stefan Diggs. He can be. He has superstar potential to me uh, if he can stay healthy yep. and you know consistently being on the field for 16 games. Adam Thielen's legit, man. I mean, they signed him Thielen. to a contract extension. Yeah, Thielen's easy to like, man. He's a, he's got, he's, a, he's a player I'm really excited to to talk about in reception perception when uh, we release the ultimate draft kit. Purchase that now. Um, and get ready for that <laughs> June. Uh, so it, it, he's 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 a player that is easy to like. So. There's an opening for the number three re- receiver spot there for Treadwell, which I think is is a good start. The the one optimistic thing you can say is he is young. I mean, he's he's he's. I don't even think he's t- turned 22 years old yet. So um, maybe there's still something there, but right now at this point, um, it's a big guessing game with him. Yeah, still two years younger than Cooper Cup. I, don't, I I could never get. <laughs> I can never grasp someone being like three years older than current players in the NFL entering the draft. It's just uh, it's so weird. 
Uh, all right. Any last questions for for Matt Harmon before uh, before we let him go? Nah, just thanks for coming on again, Matt. <laughs> oh, my, my pleasure. This is a lot of fun. We covered a lot of ground, and uh, th- like I said, this wide receiver class is really fascinating. And um, yeah, thanks thanks a ton for having me on, guys, and uh, for all your listeners out there. You know, yeah, like I said, um, you can view all the college prospect stuff at receptionperception.com. And there's also a link there to uh, buy the fantasy footballers ultimate draft kit, where you get access to a whopping 50 wide receivers uh, in the NFL. Currently their data in reception perception, really uh, exciting uh, stuff to debut this year for people. That's more data than I've ever uh, uh, compiled before. So it's been quite a, quite an off season. Yeah. You st- have you finished all those or are you still just powering through them all? It, that is a lot of, a lot of charting and a lot of games to watch. Yeah, it's a lot of power through right now. Let's just put it that way. A lot of Brussels sprouts in the blender. Just uh, <laughs> turn the candle at <laughs> no both ends. Even, <laughs> no time to even saute or anything. Just put them in the blender, and uh, hopefully that gives you the fuel and energy and you know all the vitamins that you need to just get through watching so many wide receivers. Perfect. Uh, Matt, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. And as he said, please you know check out his work. Follow him on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And, uh, yeah, the Fantasy Football. We really enjoyed the content on there over the last month. Their, their site's uh, really up the ante. It's been uh, it's been great. Thanks, guys.